Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to the last chapter of Acts, Acts 28. As we uh, turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer, asking for His help. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that Your Word is living and active. We acknowledge that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So, Father, be pleased to use this sword of the Spirit to wound us, to heal us, to help us be, as we just sang, faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, after being saved by a shipwreck, all 276 people are washed ashore. Not on a lonely island in the sea, as the platters sang back in 1967, but rather on an island inhabited, as we will read about, the island of Malta. Here we find Paul and his traveling companions, the crew, the Roman soldiers, Alive and ashore on Malta. Here we are at the last chapter of Acts, and I believe we're going to be spending three weeks covering this last chapter. Uh, Remember why Acts is here in the Bible. Uh, Literarily, it's a transition between the four Gospels and the letters to the churches and a few letters to individuals. It's here historically to show us the establishment and expansion of the church. It's here practically to edify believers, to inform us, to strengthen our faith. And these 28 chapters, remember, can be structured personally. Uh, The first half, Peter. The last half, Paul. Uh, Geographically, uh, we see from Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now getting close to the ends of the earth. It can be structured demographically, first for the Jew and now for the Gentile. It can be seen structured progressively as the progress of the word continues to go out and change hearts and lives. As we head into this last chapter, uh, think back to that comprehensive title we looked at a long time ago, The Acts of the Exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church, founded by him through the apostles. Acts. It's important to remember that Christianity is grounded not on teaching, per se, not on just morals and ethics. It's grounded on God's acts in history, what he did, what he accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Indeed, Acts orients us to the word of God and the work of God. And in doing so, Acts acts as an anchor. It holds us back, back to the historic faith handed down once for all. Holds us back to the gospel proclaimed by Jesus, proclaimed by the apostles. And yet, it's not just an anchor, it's an engine. It pushes us forward. It's, It's how we can say... With Acts, we can look back at our history and yet also move forward in our mission. Now, 
Sometimes sermons, messages, as all of you know who speak and write, sometimes it just, it just flows. And sometimes it, it doesn't flow. It, sometimes it comes easily and quickly. Sometimes it takes a great deal of effort. As I spent time in prayer and study, I'm like, what, how can we present these 10 verses of chapter 8, this time on Malta, I found it very, very challenging. It, it took a while to even begin to, to come up with a way to present this. Now, here is Luke's narrative account of their time on the island of Malta. And there seemed to be quite a bit of jumping back and forth between the people and Paul, where we see both ordinary and extraordinary things taking place. Well, with that in view, our approach to the text will be to open up and explore seven jumps. Seven jumps. Uh, join with me now as I read those first ten verses of Acts chapter 28. After we were brought safely through... We then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Seven jumps. First, the native people jump up to welcome. Jumping up to welcome. We see that in verse 2. Now, who are the native people? Islanders. If, you, if you're reading the King James, uh, barbarous people. Literally, barbarians. Literally, this means ignorant of Greek. It was a way to distinguish people. They were the Greek speakers and the Greek cultured, or they were barbarians. And these, we believe, came from Phoenicia and settled in Malta centuries before. And so the native people, these people on the island, these barbarous people, jump up and welcome the men who had come ashore. And they show unusual kindness, uh, no little kindness. Some translations even say extraordinary kindness. Now that's a general description. It's a, it's a bit vague. Uh, it's, 
unusual kindness? Well, how is this kindness made known? Well, Luke doesn't leave us hanging. Uh, They built a fire. They're meeting physical needs. Uh, They're cold. They're wet. And even if it's 50 degrees, those of you that have done rafting or tubing or swimming, when it's even 50 degrees outside and you get out of the water, you are shivering. You are cold. Here, a fire is built to, to warm them up, but also... There's another kind of warming up, an emotional warming up. They welcome them. You see, they didn't just do the right thing by building a fire to keep them warm. They've got the right kind of attitude. Welcome. Welcome. Um, I hope you don't get tired, and I certainly hope I don't get tired, of writing week after week after week, talking about welcoming one another, welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us. It's the right, not only action, it's the right attitude. And we are called to be people who welcome one another, not because it's a duty that we can check off a checklist, but because it's a delight to extend to others the welcome that Jesus has extended to us as a church. You know, over the last few weeks, we've had lots of visitors come in and out, and hopefully you've had an opportunity to talk with them, speak with them, share a bit about with them. Who knows their situation, their station in life, but we are called, especially to those who who claim the name of Jesus, to welcome them as Jesus has welcomed us. So here, this unusual kindness, this extraordinary kindness by what we believe here are unbelievers or non-believers, it's taking care of physical needs. It's also recognizing that these shipwrecked sailors and crew and passengers and prisoners are human beings who need to be welcomed. It's not just a duty It belongs on a checklist. It's a delight that resides and is expressed from the heart. And you and I know when we're with people and we are being welcomed because it's a duty or when we are being welcomed because it's a delight. Well, the second jump is when we see Paul jumping in to help. Look at verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, Now, you and I can breeze past that statement in a heartbeat with no thought whatsoever. But let's think about that for a moment. Here's Paul. He didn't wait to be asked for help. He makes himself useful. He saw a need and he met a need. Paul is doing something very ordinary, isn't it? The fire is going to go out unless wood is added to the fire. He sees a need, he meets a need. You know, the, the son of, uh, we read in Mark that uh, the son of man, Jesus says, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here's Paul, the servant of the Lord, serving in just a very ordinary way. And yet, <laughs> service comes with a risk, right? We're going to be misinterpreted. 
we're going to be uh, thought of as, oh, you don't need to be doing that. That's not a good use of your time. No, service is risky. And here, literally, it's risky for his life because a viper shows up. A viper comes, at what we believe is a poisonous snake because the reaction of the people, they're thinking he's going to die, we heard. Uh, you see, the viper shows up and the people don't just jump back because they've seen a snake. Rather, they jump to conclusions about what they've just seen. They don't jump back because they're shocked to see a snake hanging on Paul's hand. No, they, they jump to conclusions. And let's look at these conclusions. Uh, there are going to be two conclusions. Now notice that these four verses, verses four through six, it's at the center. There's three verses before, there's three verses after. And before we go on to the text, uh, let's ask ourselves these questions. Have you ever jumped to a conclusion? How many of y'all have jumped to a conclusion and landed a perfect 10? <laughs> the Olympics are, are, are helping that theme there. No, I think most of us, if you just look at my life as an example, if you jump to conclusions, at best you get like a 1.3 and sometimes you break a leg. You get hurt. You know, Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. There's a scriptural warning not to jump to conclusions. So what's their first conclusion? Well, they jump to conclude that Paul is a criminal. He's a murderer. Now, their reaction is intelligible, it's understandable. You see, a murderer might escape death by drowning on the sea, but justice would catch up with him. Here the native people, the islanders, the barbarians are waiting for justice, capital J, justice to impose her sentence. It's the goddess uh, DK, or a, a Greek god, or it's one of their own deities, uh, it's the personification of justice and revenge. Now, that's kind of a common, understandable human longing and a human recognition that there is such a thing as justice. Um, you know, they're following the conventional wisdom that um, bad things happen to bad people. Job's friends in providing counsel to Job. Of course, Job, examine your life. You have got to have done something in order to deserve this suffering. You see, Job, bad things happen to bad people. You've got to have been bad somewhere, Job. And even those initial followers of Jesus we're thinking along those lines as well. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, Jesus, the reason he's born blind is because of sin. Was it his parents or was it his own sin? Of course, Jesus answers neither and then provides the answer 
to display God's glory. But we read in the text, uh, they've jumped to this conclusion that Paul is, an, is a criminal, he's a murderer. But after he shakes off the viper and after they wait around and he doesn't experience sudden death, they come to another conclusion, that Paul is a god. He, he's invincible against storm and snake. You see, instead of sudden death, they suddenly, they themselves suddenly come to the opposite conclusion. You know, it's interesting. They move from no doubt to doubt about their first conclusion, and they move to no doubt about the second Both conclusions are wrong. They've jumped to two conclusions and they're both wrong. Uh, Luke here looks as if he's poking fun at the superstition which is able to swing from one extreme opinion to another at the drop of a hat. He's amused at their immediate change of mind. Now earlier in Lystra, Acts 14, Paul is, is thought of as a god and he's worshiped. And then later, he's stoned. Uh, Here, he's called a murderer and then a god. Both conclusions are wrong. And again, Scripture warns against jumping to conclusions. Now with this, Luke ends his first story here of Paul's time on Malta. Let's move on to the second story. Um, it's, a, it's another jump up to welcome. It's jump up to welcome part two. And we see that in verse seven. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Here is a reception. Here is being welcomed once again and entertained and it's entertained in the original sense of the word as in entertaining guest, not sadly what entertainment has become, entertaining as it were yourself. No, this is an outward action. This is welcoming, receiving, entertaining guest. Now, Publius is... is, a landowner, the chief landowner, the chief official. We think he's the Roman governor of the island. And just as Pontius Pilate, his name stays in Scripture infamously, right? Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He tried to wash his hands. But Pilate even shows up in our historic confessions and creeds of the Christian faith. Well, here, this man, Publius, who is he? He's remembered for his kindness. He's remembered for his hospitality. You see, my friends, kindness is a universal language, not niceness. I think sometimes we get turned around and we think, well, if we're kind, that will just be the niceness that leads to error or not holding fast to the truth. And yet, here, kindness speaks. And what is emphasized? The kindness of those outside the faith. 
The kindness of common humanity. You see, my friends, when we welcome the kindness of unbelievers, when we welcome the common grace, as it were, of the clerk in the store who is kind to us, we open up doors for the gospel. The other day, I was in downtown Cincinnati. I was at a stoplight, and the megaphone was out. The megaphone was out. Turn, turn from your sin, repent. If you don't trust Jesus, you're going to hell. Turn, turn, don't burn. Jesus is the only way. You're a sinner. Heaven awaits or hell awaits. Now, is that all true? Yes. Yes, and will that reach a certain person? Yes, possibly, hopefully. I mean, maybe the car behind us that stopped at that light heard that and the Lord used the conviction of sin, the Holy Spirit did a miraculous work. Maybe, maybe. But when we receive the kindness of unbelievers and we are kind to them, it paves the way to talk about heaven and hell and truth and error and lostness and meaning in life, kindness you see, unbelievers who are kind to Christians sort of open the door and Christians who are kind to unbelievers start walking through that door. Don't be afraid to receive kindness. Don't be afraid to extend kindness. Now, at this party, at this reception that goes on for three days, I mean, who wouldn't want to be there for this kind of party, reception? Paul doesn't stay on the receiving end. Rather, he moves to the giving end once again. You see, this is Paul jumping in to help part two, verse eight. It's an echo of Jesus with Peter's mother. You know, we've been seeing how Jesus heading to Jerusalem is a pattern of Paul headed to Rome and Jesus experiencing trial and tribulation and difficulty and Paul experiencing trial and difficulty and tribulation. And here's Jesus we read earlier from Luke 8 in the home of Simon. His mother lay ill. Jesus heals her. And what does Paul do here? Well, there's some ordinary stuff he does. He, he visits and he prays, but then there's some extraordinary things going on. He's putting on his hands, he's laying on his hands, and she, excuse me, his father is healed. You see, the Christian life and ministry is a combination of both the ordinary, what does Paul do? He visits. He visits. He prays. My friends, that's ordinary ministry for you and me, visiting, praying. But we also see here the extraordinary. We see Jesus sending out his apostles and part of what they could do was heal. It's extraordinary and it's ordinary Christian life and ministry. Now, the native people see what has happened and understandably want to get in on the action. And so they jump in line. Verse 9, it's our sixth jump. The native people jump, as it were, in line. The word gets out that not only Paul has defied death, 
but he's defeated disease. And it's the echo again of Jesus, not just healing Peter's mother, but healing many. And remember, earlier in Acts, we read this, that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Paul, in one sense, is saying, a faithful follower I would be. He's following Jesus. As an apostle, he's been given extraordinary power to heal. It's the ministry of physical healing. It points to that spiritual healing. Uh, It's the signs and wonders that point to the healing that Jesus and Jesus alone can do. It's, It's when Jesus forgave the man's sin and then told him to walk. When he fixed his lameness, it was just to demonstrate that he had the power to forgive sin. It's the ministry of word and deed here on the island of Malta. And then finally, the seventh jump, the native people jump up to honor Again, God provides for Paul and others through people. Look at how Paul hasn't made it this far without the help, without the encouragement of believers. We think of the church in Sidon, his close companions on the ship, and the civil and military might of the Roman Empire. And here is the Roman civil government once again providing for Paul. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, we read in Scripture. And here, the Lord is sovereignly directing, providing for Paul and others through people. So, our our, our text here ends with this honoring, reflecting kindness that, that goes both ways. Paul is kind to help and heal, and they are kind to be hospitable, to provide for what's needed. Kindness. Remember earlier in Luke, Jesus says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. There is a two way street here going on. There is the giving of kindness and the receiving of kindness. It points to we are called to be kind, to give kindness, because we have been on the receiving end. Of kindness. You know, I wonder when the disciples heard these words of Jesus, if when he heard that Jesus is describing his father as kind to the ungrateful and the evil, I wonder if they immediately said, Oh, that's us. You know, is it the ungrateful and the evil out there, or is it the ungrateful and evil that we see in the mirror? Fairly often. Paul would write the Roman church. 
not to presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. Why? Because God's kindness had a purpose. It was meant to lead to repentance. You see, the man on the street telling me to turn or burn, he's speaking truth. But I believe I'll be much more able to receive it if it's done in a manner and in the atmosphere of kindness. Unfortunately, uh, the evangelical church these days, especially in America, does not have the reputation of being kind. The Christian church can be kind and faithful to the truth simultaneously. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And sadly, that reputation is probably pretty well earned. Why don't we shock people out there? Shock them. You're a Christian? You believe in Jesus Christ? How can you be kind? I don't get it. What an opportunity for the gospel. What an open door for the truth of Jesus Christ. When Christians gratefully receive the extraordinary hospitality of unbelievers, they have the opportunity to invite them into the extraordinary hospitality of God who welcomes all kinds of people into his home where, in the words of Paul's letter to the Colossians, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now that's a reception. That's hospitality. Our narrative here of their time on Malta provides a good account of life and ministry that's both ordinary, hey, let's add some sticks to the fire, and extraordinary. How about healing? And yet we're left wondering, I'm wondering, where's the preaching of the gospel? Where's the planting of a church? Well, maybe Luke wants us to draw attention to that by its absence. Not in reality, but in the text. You see, we read the next verse that they're there for three months before they set sail. What's Paul going to be doing for three months? But preaching the word. Demonstrating the word. Showing kindness, receiving kindness. Um, his deed ministry has got to be matched by word ministry. Otherwise, it can be misinterpreted. So well, whatever the reason for its absence, and I think it's to get us to think, whatever the reason, in our text, we've seen a whole lot of jumping. We've seen jumping up to welcome. We've seen jumping in to help, jumping to conclusions, Jumping in line and jumping to honor. Well, let's return to jumping to conclusions. In particular, jumping to conclusions about Jesus Christ and the gospel. So my friends, when it comes to jumping to conclusions about Jesus and the gospel, in a word, don't. 
don't. Uh, Have you ever been guilty like me of answering even to yourself before listening to God's word? You know, it's interesting, right? Um, They think he's a criminal. They think he's a murderer. You know what the irony here is? Paul is a murderer. He himself would acknowledge that. Contributed to the deaths of believers. Paul acknowledges his criminality, his, his guilt of being a criminal. And yet Jesus treated as a criminal, flogged as a criminal, crucified as a criminal. He wasn't. But he was treated like that for our sake. A God? Paul was not a God. But Jesus wasn't just Some God among many, rather, he revealed the living and true God. He is the living and true God. People are jumping to conclusions about Paul. They're jumping to conclusions about Jesus. You see, it's not jumping, but rather walking slowly to conclude that Jesus is who he really says he is. Jesus can take the inquiry. God's word can stand up to scrutiny. You see, we we jump to conclusions when we think only along the lines of bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. You see, the gospel turns the common thinking of the world when it says a bad thing happened to the one and only good man so that a good thing could happen to those who are bad. And so, my friends, when it comes to Jesus and the gospel, don't jump to conclusions, but do come to Jesus. Run to him. Find rest, strength, hope and life in him. You see, what was on display on the island of Malta was a faint reflection, an echo of the everlasting kindness of God found in Jesus Christ. Don't jump to conclusions about who Jesus is. Come to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom at preserving this portion of Luke's narrative account of Paul's slow, winding, dangerous, difficult journey to Rome. Oh, Father, may this, your word, encourage us, strengthen us, knowing that the Lord will provide You brought them through a shipwreck onto shore. And Father, right now, many of our lives, even if known only to ourselves, feel like a shipwreck. 
and yet you will bring us ashore. And we look forward to that other side of Jordan. We look forward to that promised land that awaits. Until then, Father, help us to keep walking by faith and not by sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.